Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into the Damn Podcast on this lovely Monday. Carter. How are you? To be honest, Angie, I'm a little conflicted after that game. I'm happy that football's back and that we got to watch some some live Oregon State football on Saturday, but I was just flat out not impressed with what I saw. So uh, happy that it's back, but a little a little disappointed to start this week, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think we're going to just jump right into the, the, the big topic, I think, for Beaver Nation right now. First of all, like you, I love the Pac-12 football. It was so fun. I, I don't know if you caught any of that 9 a.m. game. The US that was awesome. U. Great Epic game. comeback. Great um, exposure. I mean, I, I, I know everyone loves and talks about Pac-12 after dark, but it doesn't get the viewership. I mean, that game, that 9 o'clock a.m. game had the nation watching. So um, I think it's important. And I, I will probably complain when Oregon State has that 9 a.m. time slot at one time, you know, at one point when I have to get up at the crack of dawn to get down to Corvallis. But I would say I think it's good for the conference overall, and I think it was really fun to start the morning after watching some game day and go right into a Pac-12 game. But I think that the bigger thing at hand right now is that performance by Oregon State on, on Saturday. Now, I know for a fact it wasn't what you or I had projected. We, you, know, you have to remember, this was a team, Washington State, that had a brand-new coaching staff. They did not have spring ball. They had a true freshman quarterback. And I don't know about you, Carter, but if you were to tell me, and I knew nothing about football, that one of those teams had a new staff, um, new terminology, new scheme, and the other one had a three-year veteran coaching staff that had been in pl- that all ten coaches returned from a year ago, I would have thought it was flip-flopped because I thought Oregon State looked unprepared. I thought they looked lackluster, um, stupid mistakes, and and I don't know what they were thinking with scheme. But let's just dive right into that Washington State game, and you know, give me your thoughts. Yeah, add into the superlatives there that Washington State was also without their starting running back, who was uh, going into that game kind of projected to be their entire offense. So yet another thing that, uh, and that's that Oregon Matt, State that's had Borgie, going there. Borgie, yep. who is yep. very vocal, was the one that guaranteed a win over the Beavers a year ago. I, I know Oregon State was really looking forward to playing him. Yeah, so just chalk that up as, as another thing Oregon State had going in their favor and weren't able to capitalize on. So um, like you mentioned, looked like one team was – was ready to go and the other wasn't. And quite frankly, that's pretty surprising to see from Oregon State, who has all of this continuity on the staff and has a, a ton of continuity on the roster and has added some new talent that we expected to see come out and perform week one. And we really just didn't see any of that. And I, I think it starts with the preparation going into the game. Coach Smith talked about today, and we're, we're going to touch on some of his comments later, but uh, he, he felt that they prepared well all week and that they just didn't execute. and. I, I, I mean, execution is obviously a big thing, but you have to you have to question the preparation of. It just looked like they weren't able to take advantage of any advantage that that they were um, that they were handed it going into that game, and um, you know whether that's an energy thing, whether that's scheme, whether that's these players not being as talented as as they've they've been hyped up hyped up to be. I don't know. Maybe a combination of of all of that, but uh, just a lot of questions all around, really. So Carter, you were at the game. So Blitz, since it's all you know, limited numbers, we're, we're going with a, a split approach here. I stay 
at home and watch it on TV. Carter's in the press box. What we can't see on TV is what the sidelines look like. Um, what did, you know, you're up there, you can see both Washington State, Oregon State. Did you see a, a difference in energy from the sidelines throughout the game? Yeah. Yeah, a big thing this season, obviously, with no with no fans in the stands, is you have to be able to create your own energy on the field and on the sidelines. And um, I, I'm not going to say that either team was particularly, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of polarization in terms of one team looked more energetic than the other. But um, I, I did notice a couple of times Washington State players dancing around on the sidelines and, and getting amped up. And really, the only time I saw that from Oregon State was after um, the the few, the limited big plays that they had. Uh, I, I look at the Jaden Grant interception and, you know, you break out the chainsaw, that's going to hype up the team no matter what the score is. But outside of that, I, I will be honest with you, I didn't see a whole lot of energy on that sideline. So let's just start with the offense a little bit because I, I don't know if I, I disagree with all the play calling. I, I do disagree that I, I really, okay, from my vantage point, I expected them to start, try to establish the run early. And from what we saw, they were actually trying to pass the ball and Jebbiet struggled a lot. Lots of balls went sailing on him. Um, Jamar had an amazing game. I mean, Jamar was a beast, and I think that needs to be acknowledged. I also think that the offensive line got better as the game went on, and that was, that was one of the huge question marks I know you and I had was how that offensive line would look, being that this isn't the same, you know, left side with 48 consecutive starts, each of those guys with Blake Brandel and Gaslavaca. But um, I thought the offense looked better as the game went on. I did question some of the play calling, but, um, you know, and there was a couple, Coach Smith did bring up, there were a couple drives in that first half that were basically just stalled out because of huge penalties. That chop block was monumental. But um, what were your thoughts on the offense? I mean, was it what you expected as, as a whole, as a whole piece, not just like the first quarter or the third quarter? Yeah, you touched on the play calling there. And I, I think I see, I kind of see what they were going for there and get Jebbia established and get him some confidence early in the game. You know, he, he did start a game last year, but this is for all intents and purposes, the first time he's gone into a game knowing that he's the starter. Um, so I see what they're trying to do there get him some confidence early, but I, I'm with you. I think you just have to establish the run game and Jamar Jefferson was the only thing that was working early in the first half. And I think you just have to ride him. Ultimately they did in the second half and, uh, he, he puts up three touchdowns and 120 yards. So um, he, of course, we knew going into the season that he's a beast. And now that he's fully healthy, I think he has really solidified himself as one of the premier running backs in this conference and maybe even in all of college football. He's probably the best running back that nobody knows uh, on yeah, the national absolutely. scale. Um, absolutely. But yeah, the, the offense as a whole, um, like you mentioned, got better as, as the game went on. I think the offensive line is still a work in progress, but I liked what I saw out of them in the second half, got a little bit better protection on Jebbia and Jebbia's ability to get out of the pocket. We saw that we, we knew that, um, that that was going to be something that he brings to the offense that Jake Luton didn't. And uh, you know, he, the plays downfield might not have been there, but he was able to extend plays, which um, kind of limited the sack numbers to, Oregon State was sacked four times, but I think it could have been worse if not for that mobility. You know, but watching, I watched some of the, the game again yesterday and watching him, I want to see him, if he's going to run, I want to see him run because there were a couple times that he was super, super hesitant and he got caught from behind. I, I just think if he's going to run, which like, he's not the super fastest guy in the world, but he can move. I mean, he, he's, he's mobile enough. Um, I want to see him move and not kind of, 
you know, dance around back there. Um, offensive line, they look small to me compared to Washington State's D-line. Do you think that's going to be a problem going against some of the up against, you know, the Huskies or Oregon? There is definitely a trade-off there because I, th I think the bigger you get, sometimes you lose. Um, I, I don't know if athleticism is the right word, but I, I think, you, yeah, I think you know what I'm, what I'm hinting towards there. And um, it, we know that the guys on this line are versatile and they can move around, but I think that comes at, at the, uh, the sacrifice of maybe a little bit of size. Um, I, I don't know what kind of impact that has on going up against a, a physical line like you're going to see next week at Washington or against Oregon later on in the year, but uh, it is something to keep an eye on. What do you think of the wide receivers? I, watching the game, in my opinion, I, I saw that our prediction is right. I think Luke Musgrave is going to be the go-to guy a lot of the, of the season. But, you know, Trevon made some big catches. Colby made some catches. What were your overall thoughts? Were, were you seeing them get enough separation against the Kooks? Not to the extent that I would have liked to see, but I, I don't think it was as much of an issue as it could have been. Because um, we know last year, obviously, Isaiah Hodgins was the guy. And outside of that, it looked like there was really nothing there. I was worried that maybe we would see that, quote unquote, nothing there across the board this year. And, and that would really just hamper the offense altogether. But I don't think we necessarily saw that. Um, there, there were some times that I think they left some plays on the field just with their inability to get open downfield. But overall, I was, I, I remain optimistic about their ability to, to create separation. That wide receiver group as a whole, actually, um, you know, we, we've said a couple times they're going to go committee approach. And we saw that just, you, you look at the, the stat sheet, you've got two guys with seven catches, that's Bradford and Taylor. Um, and then, I believe a couple guys with five catches and Zariah Beeson had four as well. So really I spread the targets around and that's what you like to see from a wide receiver group with depth is you want to get everybody involved. And when they have that kind of speed, you just have to get them the ball and kind of get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think Musgrave was, was solid. He, he did drop a couple, but um, I, I think he's going to be one that we see grow as the season goes on. Um, I, I think, I think offense, I think we've talked about it because I think, at least the bulk of my ire throughout that whole game was defense. Were you expecting what we saw on defense from the Beavers? I'm with you there. You know, that was a huge frustration, especially up front, because we've said really since the end of last season that this Oregon State front seven had the potential to be the best in the conference. It starts with the linebackers, obviously, with, with Hamaker Rashid and Avery Roberts, Omar Spates, Addison Gums, who didn't, uh, didn't participate, but – yeah, let's talk about the defensive line here for a minute. Uh, we, we saw these, these two down linemen sets. Uh, with, basically with the whole game. It, I mean, they yeah. went two, four, five, basically the whole game. Mm -hmm. Which, with Simon, Sand, Simon Sandberg and Isaac Hodgins down with no defensive tackle in the game. Um, yeah, when, when, when you're lining up your linebackers at, at defensive end on, on occasion, that's – that's not going to get it done in the run game, especially when, were, you, when you're putting a pass rusher like Rashid at, at yeah. defensive end. And they, and they weren't rushing Ham or John McCartan off the edge. They were actually going in as like a D-end. And that's not, they're not going to win that battle any time of the, of the week. Their, their benefit is to be able to rush around and get, get to the quarterback. Um, and, and so we talked about last week on the pod and at Beaver Blitz all week. Basically, you know, I had no problem with a 2-4-5 two, two, with, a, with a run and shoot offense. Um, 
But what I wanted to see from that then is I wanted to see some safety blitzes, disguise some blitzes and really put some pressure on true freshman Jaden Delora early. You know, I, I, we talked yesterday briefly, you and I, and it was one of those things that I wanted to see you, you, I'll, I'll swear a little bit. You knock him on his ass early and he's going to hear footsteps from then on out. And it, it's going to make, make, possibly force him into bad decisions. We didn't see that. We saw Oregon State kind of basically just holding back in zone. And the Cougars, we saw them then dink and dunk down the field and then run at will. Yeah, that was one of my, my takeaways at halftime. We were kind of a, a few of us in the press box were talking. And one of my takeaways was the last thing you need a true freshman quarterback to have as a defense is confidence. That's just one thing that you have to take away early on. You have to establish that, hey, we're not going to let you get off easy passes. We're going to pressure you all game long because you got to rattle him, right? This is his Talk first him career on his game. Ass. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, this is his first career game, and if, if he's able to, to throw those five-yard drop-offs and those 10-yard those out routes, um, he, he's going he's gonna to get into a rhythm, and that's the last thing you need. So really just shocking to see that Oregon State didn't use what should be their biggest advantage, their biggest strength as a team, they didn't use it at all. And this was, if you're, if there is ever a time to rush as many guys as you can, this is the game to do it. Yeah. And they just didn't. I mean, you, you might give up a big play or two, but you but need, so be it. Yeah. You so need be it because I mean, they because, got enough big plays as it was. Right. Exactly. I think, and and, and a lot of those mean? big plays came in the run game. Exactly. Was, exactly. No, I don't know if you were expecting that. Um, I mean, when was the last time you saw the Cougars rush for more than they passed? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they ran for, I, I don't have the stats up as, as we speak, but I believe it was almost 250 yards. Yeah. And they, yeah, they, they, they total, their total yards was 250 or 456. Beams were at 451. I do know that because I'm working on the, on the stats, but um, they did rush for more than they passed. I just don't have the number either. Um, tackling. I, I don't understand how this is such a bugaboo. And it, it's not just a smith Tibisar issue. The Beavers struggled to tackle under Riley early in games, under Anderson. I, I mean, there were times that it looked like the defender was, like, basically batting at the, at the guy trying to just knock him over. It was horrible, the tackling in space. Yeah, actually, there was one play in particular that stands out to me. It was a, a, screen, a screen pass to Travell Harris on Wazoo's own 10-yard line or so, and he gets into the open field, and you see one of Oregon State's defensive backs, and I'm not going to name drop because I'm not going to call individual guys out here, but you, you see one of them go for – he goes for the ball on an open field tackle, and the play goes for an additional 20 yards after that. And that's – I mean, that's just something that you can't do. You have to know as a defender, that has to be a, a discipline installed by the coaches. It has to be a fundamental strength of your defense that, hey, we're, we're going to wrap up and, and, and that, we're not going to allow these big plays. To two weeks ago when we were interviewing Isaiah Dunn and he was asked about not having inter any interceptions. And his comment was actually very telling because he said, we have to make the tackle before we ever worry about you know getting the ball or making the play in the ball unless it's a, an obvious play in the ball mm -hmm. and let's talk about Isaiah Dunn for a second because he actually the first play of the game or maybe the second play he, he had a, a really nice deflection on the on, on the ball and he was locking down receivers and we got off to kind of that they got off to that that strong start in the secondary and I thought okay maybe this group's for real um yeah, but then that, as, out. 
Yeah. Since they had the ball, it was a three and out. As the game went on, there were some holes opened up in the secondary later on. I I still think Isaiah Dunn had a a pretty solid game himself. And then we saw Jaden Grant with that pick in the end zone. Didn't take long, didn't take long for him to get into that, that interception category. So um, those two guys in particular stood out. And then Alex Austin actually got his, uh, I believe, first career start. Yeah, uh, correct me start. if I'm wrong, but uh, good to see him get in there as well. And I thought he actually played pretty well. He had a nice play on the ball as well. Yeah, that secondary group, I, I didn't see anything, I mean, that stood out from some of the new guys. Rajon, Alton Julian. Um, but we did see, you know, we saw a lot of Achille Arnold. Uh, David Morris, it was good to see him get in. I know he's been hampered by a hamstring, so I believe that's why he was limited this week and just came in toward the end. What about the overall scheme? What would you have liked to see Tibisar call differently or do differently in this game? Well, I think we've touched on it already, and it's just you have to use your strengths in a situation where they need to be used. And that's that, that just comes back to the pass rush again. And I think this is a game where you have to rely on your front seven because – I mean, Washington State's quarterback wasn't, he wasn't taking a whole lot of deep shots downfield. This isn't a game where you, where you need to go nickel all game and, and cover all, all the receivers like you would in, in an air raid, because we know that they're going to run the ball a little bit more. And I, I, I think that that front seven in, I don't know, it just needed to be involved more. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to special teams, because we usually don't give or devote too much time to special teams. But again, I thought that was a monumental failure by this team. And, and this organization is a team that has a devoted special teams coach, which a lot of programs don't devote a, t- a coach to special teams. Jake Cookus has been on staff for three years. Lots of veterans. I mean, not Caleb Lightborn is in his first year at Oregon State as the starter, but he has plenty of time under his belt. Um, Everett Hayes got some time last year. Um, and then like return guys, Trevon Bradford, that fielding that punt, on the three-yard line might have been it, – it, it drove me crazy. So let's, let's highlight all of the special teams gaffes from Saturday night. Okay. You, had, you mentioned Bradford's re- returning of the punt there at, at the three or so-yard line. Inexcusable. That's just something you don't do. Um, Which I could probably to, handle it from Azariah Beeson as a true freshman. Yeah, but, yeah, again, but not from a redshirt senior. Yeah, and again, though, has, it comes back to having a special teams coach that you – supposedly have been spending a lot of time doing anyway go ahead yeah okay so so we we've got that you had two mistakes when when Oregon State was punting the ball you got a bad snap on the first one Caleb Lightborn has to to roll out and, and punt it on the run which I mean I got to give him him credit he yeah. actually did a pretty a pretty nice job there yeah. um, but field position completely in, in Washington State's favor after a, a 30 yard or so punt on, on a bad snap later on he has to deal with getting pressured and he gets his, his punt tipped, which again, give him credit. I don't know how he got that thing to go as far as he did, but um, you, you just, I mean, you can't have these errors on punts and expect to not give up points on the ensuing drive when your opponent starts on your, uh, on your 40 yard line. And then the last one, yet another missed field goal. And Everett Hayes, like I, I, I do think he is the long-term answer at kicker. I have a ton of faith in him. What I have seen from him in person is it doesn't reflect missing kicks when you need them. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do think that he is the answer and he's got plenty of time to write the ship, but uh, coming up empty on, on that 44 yarder when you need points that hurts. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit now. So we've rehashed the game. Today, we got to hear from Coach Smith in his Monday, where he re, kind of reca recaps what he saw watching film yesterday on Sunday. That's why we actually pushed the pot off a day, because I wanted to hear his, Carter and I wanted to hear his thoughts on the game. Okay, the press conference is lot, it's up on Beaver Blitz. We have the entire press conference. There's something that just keeps sticking in my craw that Coach Smith said, and I asked him about, there, John Wilner actually wrote yesterday, Sunday, about the two teams, one had a new scheme, new coaching staff, and Oregon, and that was Washington State, and they came out fired up and looked like the veteran team, whereas Oregon State looked like they hadn't practiced in seven months. That was the quote from seven months from Wilner. I asked Coach Smith about that, and his answer was, you win some and you lose some. I, I get it. I, I, I get that. That's, that's the fact. But Carter, would you expect to hear any head coach say that? You know, you and I debriefed right after the press conference, and I think my exact words were, Mike Riley was the most happy-go-lucky coach I have ever heard, and uh, he would never say anything like that. That's just, that's not a winning mindset. You don't go into a game saying, oh, you win some, you lose some. You don't, you don't address a 10-point loss to a team that you should have beat with. You win some, you lose some. Um, I, do you think I, that, I, do I, don't, I don't get it. Do you think that that kind of attitude then can rub off on a player? Yeah, I, I 100%, because the coaches set the example. And, you know, th these players are, they're determined. They, they want to win more than just anybody else, because a lot of these guys have been here. They've been through the ringer here. So I, these guys are motivated. Don't get me wrong. But if, if that is truly the mindset that is coming from your head coach, and if that is echoed at the positional level, you have to wonder what the mindset of the players is, because if they hear that from their role model, what do they think? Yeah, I, I, I just, that just blew me away. And like I said, is it true? Absolutely. I mean, but I don't think you'd hear a Mario Cristobal or a Dennis Erickson ever say that out loud to the media, especially, let's get to another area that we've talked about now. And this, I think this is super important, is the whole transparency issue. So, I don't feel like we ever get the true story. And I think that's I think that's the case no matter what team you're talking to. There's this total aura of secrecy surrounding, you know, shrouding all these college football programs. I think these coaches are loving the fact that the media is shut out and can't see what's going on. Um, they don't see who's injured, they don't see who's in or who's out. But what that if you're winning, I think that's okay. Nobody's asking questions. But we got to see one scrimmage in the four weeks leading up to the first game. And so everything else we had to go off of was what the coaching staff was telling us. We have some really good sources and we also know that some of the things the coaching staff was telling us publicly was not actually the, the maybe 100%. But we heard how the defense was dominating, how the front seven looked good and was dominating the offense. So that's what we are going off of. We're going off of what we're being told and then to see them come out and play as horribly as they did. And, and I'm not putting it on the players. I, I actually think, I actually am more disappointed with Tim Tittisar and the, the scheme they came up with and the play call than I ever am with the players. And, and I know that's a difference. You'll hear the coaches say the players need to execute. Absolutely agree. But the, the coaches need to give them a good plan. And I don't think that was a great plan that Tittisar put in play. And that's, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, and definitely not good adjustments at halftime. 
So no, no, no in-game adjustments that, that I could see. No. So then it comes back to this whole transparency issue. At some point, would you be better as a head coach being a little more honest and saying, hey, we don't have David Morris going this week. I mean, we, it is so tight on who's like today. I even asked because somebody asked the question about Mike Leach saying that they were down 32 players that didn't come with them to Oregon state. Now, mind you, they did play more players on the participation report than Oregon state did. But the question was asked to coach Smith about that and COVID. And so then I asked how many players were you down? And I got, he, he acted a little heated about it. And he said, the same guys I told you last week, Addison Gums. And he said, Oh, well, Isaiah Newell wasn't available. And, there are some other guys. Okay, you don't have to tell me who, just give us a number. How many guys were you down? Because maybe that would change our mindset a little bit about what was going on, if, if we had a better picture. This, the secrecy is, is hurting, I think, their perception with, with fans, because the fans have been hearing what you know, the reporters have been reporting on, which is the front seven is gonna be really good. And then what we saw on Saturday is like, huh, it, it's yeah. a big yeah. question. What do you think about transparency and how that affects, um, like I said, that obviously you can't be talking about who has COVID and who, who's hurt, but you can give numbers and just say, we're going to be without three linebackers and we're going to be without 2D linemen. I mean, there was a point in that game that I was like, is Evan Bennett or Tavis Shippen, um, Alexander Skelton, are they hurt? Are they unavailable? Because it seemed like every time I looked at the TV, it was, it was um, Sandberg and Hodgins. Yeah, I mean, we, I could talk all day about this because this is something that has, I mean, this has been something that has been frustrating all fall. Um, and I, I, I will say to a level, it's okay, because I get it, you don't want to have everything out there. And I mean, this game, we saw it on both sides. This was the confidentiality bowl, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Um, Nick Rolovich is about as secretive as it gets. And I, I think to an extent, there's a level of gamesmanship on both sides. Um, with with Wazoo, that's the case of, yeah, it makes sense. You don't want Oregon State to know who's starting at quarterback for, in, until they absolutely, you know, see it. But it, I, I think we should clear up here and just and just make it known that we report on what we know from the coaches. And if if it seems like we're pushing a false narrative we're just echoing what the coaches are telling us. All right. So like we said, with the front seven, everything we have heard and from the one time we saw it, that was the case. And so we, we don't really have a whole lot of, of, of our own experience to go off of here because we didn't get to see fall camp. Normally we do, and we can form our own opinions on what the team looks like. We're relying on what we know from what the coaches tell us. And that takes me to my next point of, there are two things there's there's two routes that I think Jonathan Smith is is either taking here and and either way it's one of them is more concerning than the other but the first is that a he can create his own narrative this year and so he's he's pushing out what he wants everybody's perspective to be and unfortunately it it appears that it is false um it, it, I mean case in point look at the defense he can push a narrative that the defense has improved and that, you know, that they've, they've looked good in camp. And what we saw on Saturday tells us that that is not true. And then the, the other route, which is the concerning route is, I mean, I, I will still give him the benefit of the doubt, but maybe he is just out of touch with this team. I mean, I, mean, I, I want to get your thoughts on this too, because 
that that's kind of a bold statement, but in year three, I, I think it is fair to ask. This is this is a time when the staff should know what its player strengths are. This is a time when they should know, you know what scheme works well against what opponents because they've been here long enough to see some of these teams. So do you think that there is a, a potentially an element of this staff being out of touch? I would hope not. I, I, you know, I hope that they know what they've got, but especially on defense. I mean, I would have, would have expected a way better game plan from Tipisar. This is year three. Um, he, and not only is he defensive coordinator, he coaches the outside linebackers who arguably should be some of the best position group in the conference. Um, the scheme I thought was horrible and it did not take advantage of Oregon State's uh, strengths and it did not take into account what they were facing with Washington State. I mean, they were playing that game like it was going to be a Mike Leach air raid. Um, and, and again, it wasn't like Nick Rolovich's scheme is foreign. They played Hawaii last year at, and, beat, and Hawaii beat them there too. So um, this, I think the, the biggest thing is this was a winnable game and this might've been the easiest game on the schedule for the Beavers. And, and, and quite frankly, it, quite frankly, I think it was a must win. If yeah, you want to yeah. achieve the goals that, that you expect to, that was a must win. Exactly. Especially when you had two, four teams in the conference that had to cancel their games. So that, I mean, you're just looking for a Pac-12, um, a road to the Pac-12 championship game potential. Um, every win is going to be important because if somehow you can stitch together seven entire seven games when other teams might be playing five or six, it just gives you that much more of an edge. Like I said, I hope that this coaching staff knows what they've got. Year three, it's not a secret. It, it's not a secret at all. So um, yeah, I, it, it's frightening a little bit. And I just hope that, again, I, I don't even know where to start because it's game one. You haven't played a game in seven months. Now, did I expect some rust and some, some sloppiness? Absolutely. Um, but I don't expect that from my coaches. I mean, these guys make a lot of money and have been doing this a long time to have a lot of rustiness. And um, the inability, I, I, like I said, offensively, I thought they actually came along and, and uh, figured some things out. But defensively, it was the same thing the entire game. I mean, Go back toward the end of the game. Oregon State scores that touchdown and cuts the lead, cuts the Cougar lead to three. Or four, was it four? It was four, right? It was three. 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 Because they converted the, the two points. That's right, the two points. That's right, because they missed the which, two points. Which, I mean, we can yeah, talk yeah, about we can go that, off too. On that. <laughs> the decision to, to go for two earlier in the game when you're down three scores, I mean – so that yeah, is, that's I'm not even going to go there. Or, yeah. And, and actually I understand the whole go for the field goal later instead of just because it gives you more time to onside kick. That, I, that one I was fine with. I yeah. think that was but, the Yeah, the two play. at the beginning. Okay, but let's not even go there because we're already running really long in this pod and we haven't even got to questions. But you just cut the score to three with two minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. You are in this thing. And if you just said, if you'd watched USC earlier in the day, I mean, they came back. Um, UCLA actually made a valiant comeback in their game. Um, it happens. You're within three in the very next play, Washington State gets the ball and busts off a huge run and scores a touchdown, puts it 10. Mind you, with two timeouts in your back pocket. So all you got to do is you got to force a three and out and you're going to have the ball with over a minute, probably a minute and a half. Yeah. All you got to do is get a, is, is one stop. One stop. And they didn't do a stop. They just let them score. Like one, play. one play later, it's a two score game. Yeah. It was seriously like the bull ring, you know, waving the flag. Oh, I mean that, and that was 
that was a wide receiver, I believe, that scored on that one. Yep, that was Travell Harris on a uh, – it wasn't really an end around. He was kind of just lined up in the backfield. Yeah. But if, if you've got a wide receiver scoring on you in that, in that situation, I mean, you're not stopping anyone, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw that game, and I don't want to be sounding disheartened, but I don't see a win on the schedule if that's the way they're going to play. Now, granted, let's hope for a giant jump between game, week one and week two, but super disheartening when there was so much momentum and so much excitement coming into the season. Okay, I think we've kind of, uh, kind of went through this a lot. What, are you ready for some damn questions? Because we got a ton of listener questions. Yeah, I'm ready. That was, uh, that was a good opportunity to vent a little bit. but uh, It was, it was to, part of my therapy questions. session. So hopefully our listeners – they are listening to it and they've nodded their head a few times like, yeah, yeah, that's my feeling too. And we've all kind of had this cathartic therapy session. And We're all in this together. We are right. in this together. I will say on a flip side, we had our, um, in the, in the Beaver Blitz Lodge, we had our watch party and it was so much fun. If you were in it, thank you for being in there. I think that was the longest, biggest thread we've ever had at Beaver Blitz in well, it's been around since 2002, but I've been running it for 15 years, and that might have been the longest thread. I think we had 20 pages of, of posts, and it was fun. It was fun to be able to kind of go in there and voice frustrations or celebrate high fives. It was fun. So thank you for all that participated in that, since we can't all be in research together. And we'll be doing it again this week for Washington. But let's jump into some questions. I'm going to pull these up here. We have some in the lodge, and we had some on uh, Twitter. So the first one is from the lodge and it's Matt Chiafoni, one of our longtime supporters. And this is a serious question. He has lots. He always wants to know how many JUCOs we're gonna, Oregon State's gonna recruit. But this one is, is, is a good one. I think Carter can answer this one. While Jebbia was not impressive for the most of the game, he did play better toward the end. That being said, I got the impression that Washington State did not fear his arm at all. And frankly, I don't blame them. Numerous passes look like lame ducks. Any chance of going to Nolan or even Golbranson? Hmm. I, kind of a loaded question. There's a lot there, but let's let's break it down with um, with Jebby's ability to make throws. And this is something that actually uh, C Coach Lindgren has touched on a bit. He doesn't have the arm strength that Jake Luton had, yeah. um, and and that is something that Lindgren has admitted. And there's not many. They, there's not many right, that have that arm strength. Right, right. I, Luton's arm strength was. Um, I mean, that was, that was impressive. And we actually saw that a little bit in the, the Jacksonville game yesterday, but um, yeah, I, I thought there was, I, I don't know how much of it was Washington state taking away the deep ball and how much of it was Oregon state's receivers inability to get open for them. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of check downs and, and those short five to 10 yard, you know, we're just going to throw it a few yards and see what the receivers can do with it. Um, I don't know how much of that is game plan and how much of that is just, uh, was is on these players individually, but to answer the question about do do they go to a backup at any point? And to be honest, I don't think so. In in this short of a season, I think you just try to get Jebbia as much experience as you can. And if if there's anything that that we saw from our opportunity to watch this team in the scrimmage, it's that there is a a pretty clear distinction between Jebbia and the rest. Now, when you get into the the, the rest of the room there's quite a bit of similarity in the ability of the other three guys. But I, I do think that there is a pretty noticeable talent gap, at least at this juncture between Jebbia and the rest of the guys. And 
I, I do think that Chance Nolan has an opportunity to be a real playmaker, and I think he's got some some pretty pretty impressive natural talent. I just think it's a little too early for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we haven't seen a lot. Um, we heard a lot toward the end, but again, I don't know what to believe anymore, Carter, but we were hearing that Nolan was kind of coming on at toward the end and, and learning that playbook that last week. Um, I, I really didn't, my, my concern really wasn't so much with Jebbia. I think he'll get better as he gets more comfortable and this offense is going to, it's going to look different than it did under Jake Luton. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. We're going to have to see some shorter passes, um, more creativity in the passing game. Um, ben does have a big arm, but I just think it's, yeah, it's, that's so premature to even talk about a true freshman going in. Um, but I, I think, I think I love Tristan's leadership and his moxie. And I think that will help the team, you know, as going forward. Um, and that actually answered a couple other questions. What, what in the blue hell OSU had talking about kind of the differences in the quarterbacks. Um, let's go. Um, this is a good one because this popped up in the lodge and then city of thorns, um, on Twitter asked, why are we never prepared for the beginning of the season? Coaches change, but our absolute lack of preparation seems to be forever. And that's true. I mean, that was, that's been the complaint. I mean, when Riley was here, the Beavs would start off slow. I mean, you date back even to the Fiesta Bowl year, Oregon State had a sluggish, slow start to the season. Why is that? I, I wish I knew. And I think if somebody did know, they'd make a lot of money. But um, that's one of the things that I'm struggling with here as we as we analyze this game is you never know what you're going to get week one. And every coach will tell you the most improvement that happens and the most changes that happen to schemes and, and whatnot is it comes between week one and week two because you, you can practice all you want against your own guys, but the second you get out into a, a live game, everything changes. And you hope that everything that you've practiced up to that point will prepare you for a different opponent. But at the end of the day, you can only do so much with your own guys. We see that in tackling. You can only tackle so much in fall camp in, in a, a live setting to go out there and have to, to live tackle 60 times. That's something that nobody is, I, there's no way to prepare for that. And so some, some of these things are going to be attributed to the fact that this is game one. Mm -hmm. offenses are going to take a while to, to get into the rhythm. We saw that from the first half to the second half. So I, I don't know. There, there's some, some trade-off there between the ability to prepare a team for any game and the ability to prepare a team for game one. Yeah. I mean, I just, it doesn't seem like other teams have such struggles tackling. It, it's, it's an ongoing concern. And like I said, it, this isn't a, a knock on, on Smith and his staff because we've seen it really all along these slow starts. Um, Big Z132 in the lodge asked who was injured. It felt like our D-line was missing players and that forced us to play weird schemes. Also, <laughs> have we fired to the jet? <laughs> no coaches have been let go. Um, and we asked today on, on our call with Coach, um, Coach Smith, you know, the, the question was asked, was, you know, Evan Bennett played some, Cody Anderson played some, and it doesn't sound to me, Carter, unless they're just not telling us that it was an injury issue. It was, a, it was a scheme issue. They chose to go with two down linemen. Is that what you? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the impression that I got as well. Um, we know that Bennett was limited towards the end of fall camp. Um, it sounds like he was moving around pretty well in practice this week. But again, I, 
you said it, I don't know what to believe anymore on on that front, especially when it comes to injuries. Yeah. But yeah, they're it, like it's supposedly going to tell us if someone's out for the season. Okay, that's, right. that's ridiculous. I mean, I don't think Coach Smith has still acknowledged that Mason Moran broke his wrist and is out for a couple weeks. Mm-mm. If you're in the lodge, you know that, but Coach Smith hasn't acknowledged that. Um, let's see. We got, we got lots of good questions here. Okay, Beave 27. We looked small and unathletic after spending the day watching other Power 5 teams. We really just don't look the part. Is that what you're seeing? Um, yeah, I, I, a little bit maybe. We, we know that this team lacks size, and at some positions that's okay, and at some positions that's going to hurt you. Uh, we talk about it a lot at, at wide receiver. There are some benefits to having smaller guys. You get elusiveness and you get speed. Um, and, and same with there the, are obviously with the trade-offs. Too, right? Offensive right. line too. Yeah and, yeah, and we talked about that earlier in the pod as well. Defensive line, I, I think on the defensive side, if, if you're talking about, well, lack of size on defense, you have to chalk that up partially too to the way Oregon State game planned. Because um, if, if you see a linebacker on the defensive line, like you did on, on occasion, and if you only see two guys there, there might be kind of this, uh, not necessarily an illusion of a lack of size, but they don't have, they're not lacking size on the you roster a, per se. You have a they're just lacking size on the field at a time. Yeah, you have a 248-pound Hamilka Rashid going up against a 300-plus-pound offensive tackle. Right, which is not going to do you any favors in pass rush. No. Ham, Ham needs to be outside and rush around him. Um, there's, there's a reason he's an outside linebacker and not an inside. Yeah. Steel Beeb says the scheme affected um, the D-line performance, affected the D-line performance more than anything. Going with the two D-line set over and over again killed us. There is no way that two D-linemen can keep gap control against five offensive linemen. We got shredded by delayed handoffs. The running back had huge holes to choose from. I understand trying trying a set, but sticking with something that is not working is a big head scratcher. Absolutely. Fair. Yeah, I, I can't so, and, disagree and with that at all. That you'd like to know what Tibbs and, and Smith were thinking. Smith, you know, Smith, I thought, was trying to put a positive spin on everything today. Everything was kind of being spun in the positive. I mean, even when we ask about Trevon Bradford fielding the punt at three, he kind of took that off kilter and said, well, if one of the gunners would have blocked, Trevon could have potentially ran it back. Okay. I don't care. You don't field it at the three yard line, regardless. You can have all the, all the running lanes in the world and you're not touching that ball. Yeah. Anyway, that's, um, so it's, it's hard to tell. We do get Tibisar, I believe, Wednesday. Uh, Yes. We'll probably get off day. And then it's, or maybe it's Thursday. No. Thursday, Smith. Smith, you're right. So it'll be probably Wednesday. Tomorrow should be Lindgren. So we might know more tomorrow when we talk to Tibbs. Do you have any anything that you want to add there, Carter? No, I, I think we covered that one. So looking ahead, I, this is going to be sprung on you. We, I know we dedicated this entire podcast to talking Washington State, but I, I think it needed to be done. I think we needed to – there was so much there to digest going in now to week two. Um, the Huskies, Washington now on the, on the schedule. Have you even thought about Washington or are you more concerned about what you saw from Oregon State and how they change? I'm not concerned with Washington at all at this point. Um, 
Well, I, I am concerned because I, I think that they have an ability to expose some weaknesses on this roster, but um, I'm, I'm not concerned with, with figuring out what they're going to do yet. Yeah. And, and this was the one thing from Smith's press conference today that I, that I actually took away and I said, okay, he said the right thing there. And it was, he said, we're not worried about their scheme right now. We're focused on us. And that's exactly the mindset that they have to be taking, especially, I mean, Washington hasn't played a game yet. So film is going to be limited. They've got a new coaching staff. You don't know what to expect schematically yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think the focus has to be internal. You got to do some soul searching. You got to figure out, well, clearly our scheme didn't work. So let's adjust something. And, and it sounds like that's what they're doing. Yeah. And that's like you, that was a big takeaway from today's talk was um, that this, this is about how they need to fix the things that they need to do because until they start executing and, and doing the things that they need to do as a team, they can't worry about, about the opponent. Um, Carter, thank you so much for taking time to uh, jump on the podcast with us today. Um, and, and Beaver fans, thank you for sticking with it. And uh, we've got six more games. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we have six more games. Um, and that everyone can stay healthy. And uh, hopefully, we have a different outcome. Or at least, I, I think, I don't even know if it's a different outcome. It's just we want to see improvement. And so we'll be back next week, probably next Monday again, for another episode of the Dam Podcast. Again, thanks Carter Baines, our beat writer. Make sure to follow him at Carter Baines and on Twitter. And I am Angie Machado. You can follow me at Angie Machado one on Twitter, or we're both in the lodge an awful lot of the time. So stick with Beaver Blitz and we'll be back next week. <laughs>